What's up, everybody? I'm Michael Slater, a vintage reseller based in North Texas, and you're listening to Canned Heat, a podcast highlighting makers and entrepreneurs in the vintage clothing world. I'm recording this just a few days before the new year, so I hope y'all have had a wonderful holiday season, and I wish you a happy and successful 2022. For today's episode, I sat down with my friend Ava, who is the founder of Unseen Clothing, a secondhand brand that's seen huge growth on Depop and has become a staple booth at the Silver Lake Flea in Los Angeles, where Ava has sold to the likes of Madison Beer, Olivia O'Brien, and Emma Chamberlain. I first met Ava online toward the beginning of the pandemic, and since then, we've talked and collaborated a good bit and even got to hang out in person at the Rose Bowl a few months ago. Because we were already well acquainted, I think you'll find that our conversation skips some of the pleasantries and dives right into the practical knowledge that she's gained in this business. I love that. Seriously, there is so much wisdom packed into this episode, so I hope you enjoy listening to Ava of Unseen Clothing as much as I did. I am here with Ava of Unseen Clothing. Thank you, Ava, for for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. It's really fun to do podcasts or to actually talk about vintage with people outside my little bubble here. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I put a question box on my story and I asked who um, people wanted to hear from and I saw your name several times. So, um, (laughs) no, like you told me that that made me feel so awesome. And I think through any kind of like recognition, like I don't do anything I do for that at all, but it always feels so awesome when it's your peers recognizing or like shouting you out and vice versa. I think to me, that's the most, cause they, we get it. Like we know what the day to day is to go through and stuff. So that's extra special to me. Well, I think you've definitely set yourself apart and made a big impact in the community since you've been doing this. So I'm truly honored to have you. So tell me, when did you start thrifting? I think like most people in this world, I have been thrifting pretty much my whole life. I definitely grew up thrifting a lot with my mom. My grandma is like a big, she calls them yard sales. She's like the yard sale queen up in Montana. She's always done that. So I just grew up being a big part of my life. And then, you know, going into like middle high school age, that's when I really started to get excited about thrifting, like, because I like the aesthetic of it because I thought it was cool. I was looking actually the other day through my old Facebook photos, my hidden albums and looking through pictures from high school. And I wore so many like random graphic tees that I remember getting (laughs) at thrift stores. I don't know. I never really thought about it super consciously back then. And now that I'm doing this full time and it's like become my life, it's really interesting to go back and see, no, I was actually, those were like the, the seeds that were planted that evolved into this. That's cool. So you said you're from Montana um, and you live in LA now, right? Yes. <laughs> very different. So, yeah. For sourcing, for selling, I'm sure it's very different. So tell me about the differences and what it's been like building a brand in LA. Yeah, it's very, very different. And I'm very grateful that I've been able to experience both perspectives and both sides of it because there's definitely pros and cons to both. Um, and it kind of depends, I think, if you're trying to do this as a business to any level or you're 
thrifting to resell or buying to resell, um, like what your goals are and like what you want to get out of it. Because for one path, being in a really rural area might be best. And for another path, being in a city like LA might be best. Um, so for context, I started really reselling probably 2015, 2016, um, on the side, Depop, like chill. And then I didn't move to LA until August, 2019. So about six months before the pandemic, I was still doing it as a side business. And then I didn't move to full-time until the pandemic. So, um, it was a little bit more casual when I was in Montana, but I didn't know I wanted to like try and grow it. And I was definitely hustling on that side of it. Montana in a more rural area, I would say, um, well, you are getting less thrift stores. There's less, you know, things out there, but there's less people looking for the types yeah. of things that I'm looking for. So I do a lot of Y2K, early 2000s, 90s. And in an area like Montana, you see a lot of that at thrift stores. Like, right. Because those are literally in pe- boxes in people's closets that they're donating currently. Like, yeah. So you see so much of that. And in LA, what's a very fashion forward city. Um, instead of seeing a lot of that, the thrift stores, you'll see so much Shein, you'll see racks of fashion Nova with the tags still mm. on it. It's, you know, they're keeping up with the new trends, yeah, they're getting yeah. PR boxes and the more desirable vintage pieces get picked up so fast in the thrift stores yeah, here. Obviously exactly. there's way more people who know what they're looking for and are looking for those things. But I will say in Montana, it's, not like no one's reselling there either. There's people who are definitely mm-hmm. doing this. Um, I'll say the percentage of quote unquote old heads versus <laughs> new, you know, hype beast t-shirt, sneaker resell, whatever yeah. is very different than the percentage you'd see in LA. But people on the internet, like people are watching YouTube videos. Yeah, They're starting yeah, to sure. really pick up on stuff. And a few years ago when I you know, 2018 when I would be there and at the good, there was one Goodwill in my hometown that I, that was like my spot, obviously. (laughs) Um, I don't really remember seeing resellers there and I'm sure there were, but like, if anything, it was people looking more at home goods or like, you know, maybe like uh, Levi's or very specific things, but I was picking up all sorts of things. And I feel like now when I go there, um, it is a college town. I'm definitely starting to see people like, yeah. okay, people are picking up and that's really cool too. So I think that's leveling the playing field. Mm-hmm. But as far as um, growing it into less of like a buy and sell units online type business um, in LA, it's really great for like branding and meeting people. Um, I've been selling at Silver Lake Flea now for over a year and I'm a permanent vendor there. I'm usually there like six-ish days a month. I try not to do every weekend, but Mm -hmm. I do most weekends. And the connections that I've made there and the people that have just like walked into my booth and bought for me is, it would never happen in Montana. Like I could be at the one flea market that they have there for a few months during the summer, you know, one day a week. (laughs) I could do that for years and not have one of these people ever walk in the booth. Right, exactly. Yesterday I had a stylist walk into my booth who asked if I work with stylists. I said, yeah, I rent sometimes. He's like, do you have a car? I give him my card. He followed me and I looked at his page and he's like done. Like, I don't want to like point out who is, but like huge campaigns with like (laughs) Nike and stuff. Like he's doing it and he's looking for pieces for like um, a magazine editorial he's working on, which is 
I would never have found him online. And imagine sending him He's a not in Montana <laughs> or a DM on Instagram. And that's the really cool thing about meeting these people at um, the markets, especially is I don't feel like I have to sell myself. I think a lot of people who are trying to grow into that aspect of the business, working with more like stylists or doing more like the branding, like a lot of the women's stuff is about the overall aesthetic and the like style of it versus the print or the graphic, like a t-shirt would be or something. And um, just being able to be your creative self, put your booth out there. It's kind of like merchandising your own space and have someone walk into your space feel like they like your vibe and Mm -hmm. you connect and can maybe work together and build a relationship that way is so much more natural. And I don't feel like I'm having to like push it. And it just, what the opportunities that come are more natural that way. But, um, living in Montana, you can definitely, if you're just like trying to grind, you can get stuff cheap. Your overhead's going to be way cheaper. Right. I mean, people are building awesome reselling businesses online now like you could do a lot through instagram or through your website and you don't need to be in a city like la like i could do a lot of what i do in another city maybe come here once a month even like so there's a lot of factors i think and i think it's just Mm -hmm. important to really recognize all of them because there's good and bad to both sides and see what's best for what you want yeah that's interesting because we live in the dfw metroplex Mm -hmm. so there's so many thrift stores, so many resellers, yeah. all of it. Um, I found I much prefer like sourcing on a road trip, like when we're driving through so much like fun, small yeah. towns, like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but a pop-up shop in the middle of nowhere yeah. is not going to be the same as like what you're doing at oh, Silver totally. Lake where you have that location. So there's pros and cons to both. For and sure. I think it's just about like learning how to capitalize on both environments and, and figuring yeah. out what works best for you. So you talked about Silver Lake. What What is that like? Because you're seeing stylists cool. and influencers and all this. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun, first of all. So just a little background with Silver Lake. I did not shop there ever as a customer before I signed up for that flea market. I had just heard around and through Instagram that it was a good one and Maybe I, it was what I could potentially, you know, get into as far as being a new seller. So I met um, this girl through Instagram during the pandemic. Her name's Sarah. She and I met through a group chat on Instagram that was set up by someone of all female resellers all over the world, actually. Mm-hmm. And we were all had just been, we were in there a lot talking and her and I connected. And I realized that I'd seen her at the bins here in LA before and we were like, hey, I've really been wanting to start at a flea market, but I can't. I don't want to do it all by myself. And so that first one, we decided to split a booth there. And that was the first time we ever actually met in person. That was at our booth that morning. And it was wow. really janky setup and <laughs> like a falling apart pop-up tent. Each had like one rack, like Sharpie on paper marker, or, you know, we hung everything up when we got there, like everything we did wrong. <laughs> yeah. And we made a few hundred bucks and it was so awesome. And we we're like, whoa, it would take so <laughs> to make this uh like through Depop in one day would be like an awesome day on Depop. Yeah. And yeah, for we're like, sure. okay. And that um was our first time. And now we still now we have our own booths, but we always get them next to each other and we've built it into a kind of bigger space. We have it open in between the two. So it's appears like a 20 by 10 tent. 
and we've made it kind of an experience. And what's really cool about Silver Lake and what I love about it is that it feels like you're walking into the Instagram explore page, but literally (laughs) it's really inspiring for me. And I think one of the best things you can do if you're buying and reselling at all, and this doesn't even have to be like women's stuff or super fashion-y stuff, even, um, well, any kind of clothing, but even if you're buying and selling electronics, I think it's so important to pay attention to what's going on around you, whether that's watching the news, but walking, uh, people watching, especially if you're doing anything clothing, buying and reselling is really important, I think. Um, And just seeing what kind of things people are into right now and what things people like. And it doesn't necessarily have to be what you like or what you want to be wearing, but you want to know what's going on and what people are into. And this uh, Silver Lake flea market is kind of the like most extreme version of that. I always tell people I am sure that these magazine editors and I know for sure brands are coming there and they're people watching and they're snapping pictures and they're buying from us. And, you know, a few weeks later now, not months later, but sometimes even days later, because stuff moves so fast. I'm seeing those trends that are translated (laughs) from this. Wow. And they're young people. That's what's so cool about it. It's a lot of like, um, as young as like 15, you know, 14, 15, you know, high school age who are like totally doing their own thing, their own style to, you know, in their like thirties and even older, we'll see people of all ages there and everyone's so individual and unique. And that's really inspiring. Um, something that's been really awesome was to see how normal everyone is and personable. Um, I'm not a big, like celebrity person like i would never ask someone for a picture like i think that's, <laughs> i'm so awkward and i feel bad and horrible right. and half the time if not more i do not know who these people are um be, and not in a bad way but just like they're they have a different niche um yeah. maybe a lot of like people from online in one way or another you know influencer but that's a really broad word and a lot of times I'll, I usually snap pictures of my customers as they buy something uh-huh. and like tag. And that's always a fun way um, to do it. But sometimes I'll click on their You see it after like the fact. 14 million followers <laughs> or something. And I'm like, oh my God, I had no whatever. But that's the cool environment about it. And it, they're not getting chased around and bothered by people either. It's everyone's just right. engaging and interacting. And it's a very positive environment that I like. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I always look through your stories whenever you're at Silver Lake and I'll click <laughs> on somebody's, I'll just click on somebody's, uh, tag and I see the followers and I'm like, Whoa, like, and it's usually, yeah. like you said, it's people I've never even heard of, Yeah, but it's really cool that you've kind of been able to find your way into that space. And I think it's really smart what you said about people watching. Like I went to the mall the other day for the first time in I don't know, yeah. a couple of years, honestly, because I thrift most of my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I had to go buy a bike helmet for my son. And so I went to yeah. the mall and I was blown away, like just watching younger kids walk through the mall and like seeing what they were wearing. It was like, oh, this is like different than I thought. <laughs> yeah. And I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of wrap tees, but like the reprint wrap tees, you know, yeah. like the, the fast fashion wrap tees. And I was like, wow, this is big. Like, and of course, if you look at my Instagram feed right now, you know that rap tees are a thing, but I didn't really realize how much of a like general public thing that that was. And so 
it is really wise to watch people and see what people are yeah. wearing. And um, totally. that's, that's going to give you a whole new perspective when you're sourcing, when you're selling, when you're styling, um, whatever it is. I also like what you said about finding Sarah and having like a friend and a yeah. partner. When I started, before I ever did a pop-up, I was like so worried that like, okay, I don't have enough inventory or like I don't yeah. have enough help to like run a <laughs> run a store for a day. Like I just need like somebody. So I found a buddy who was also very new to it, just getting started. Yeah. And I said, hey, let's team up for this event. <laughs> we'll split the cost. Yeah. We'll be able to fill a whole booth with our inventory while my like one or two racks might not fill the booth if we right. combine our stuff we've got a booth. So I think that's a really good nugget of advice for someone starting out is like, just yeah. make those partnerships, find somebody that you vibe with and like, just get it started and like, start something totally. with them. That you can I think, trust. Yeah. And I think Build for you, like, with. it's been a long term relationship and totally become one of my best friends. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> and I'm so grateful. And I told her this the other day too. like, you know, I came just a few months before the pandemic. And then that hit and I barely had even met anyone here. And you know how it was at the beginning, especially like it was pretty up in the air what the future was even looking like in general. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know whether I didn't even have a lease signed in LA yet at that point. I was wow. like, do I even stay here? Like the whole point of being here is like to be able to experience LA if everything's totally shut down. Am I going to pay to like live in LA? I don't know. Um, and I'm really grateful that I stuck it out. Her and I both we didn't have our, um, we'd never done a flea market or a pop-up for our vintage, but we did have the similar shared experience of having D pops for about the same amount of times. So we both had had similar success in that in time invested into that. And then her and I both also did retail management in the past, you know, through college, I worked, um, almost all retail. Some people do restaurants some people do whatever mm -hmm. I did retail. And I did years of that when I graduated school, I was doing um, operations manager at Ulta, the makeup store. Uh -huh. And then I was a general manager of a sunglass hut. And she was a manager at Doc Martens for a while. And so we have very similar levels of expectations and what we right. want for standards, how we want people treated when they walk in. Our, we're both, you know, want to have conversations with people. And I mean, we got very lucky in general that we did click and yeah. It worked, you know, our personalities meshed in a way that really was like awesome. And it was a good thing. But I have seen a lot of people get burned too in the fact where they get so nervous to start on their own that they get into these yeah. partnerships that are actually like kind of maybe too interwoven where it's like, oh, we're going to like start this together. Sure. And her and I, while we split that first booth or two, we maybe did it two times or something. Ever since then, we get our booths next to each other, but all our stuff is separate. Like our money is separate. We're taking transactions separate. We're not combining our things on that level. And I think that's been great for us because those things can get really complicated, especially yeah. unless you like want to legit start a business with this person. But if you don't want to like do that, it's best to, I think, keep it yeah. as separate, you know, on paper and stuff because then mm -hmm. You don't have that extra level of complication. And then she tries things that she thinks are going to work best for her, buys things she thinks are going to work for her customers. And I do the same. And that's good for both of us because we do have like slightly different styles. And that's a good thing for both of us. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't want to mix that up too much. The boundaries are, are good because, you know, you are different people and you have different businesses. So like mm -hmm. you said, unless you're going in on a business together where you're splitting everything 50-50, 
you need to be able to to still keep it separate. Yeah. Because if you start that partnership with it super interwoven, it's hard to like untie that knot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You can always like get more into some, you know, in the future. But um, I've seen just so many people where two people will start and one person's way more excited about it than the other. One person still Mm. wants to take it way more seriously than the other. It ends up being like a high school group project where you're either doing all the work (laughs) and like resentful or you have to like kind of break up with them in a sense and start off on your own path. And that's like a whole resetting and have the confidence that, no, I can do this. Like people hold themselves back a lot in general, but specifically in this business because they're too scared to even just try, um, whether that's a flea market booth or starting a website or like doing a rework or anything, they just are too scared to even just try doing it that they're never able to find what actually works. I try so many random things and that's kind of Mm -hmm. a pro of having a small business, like urban outfitters or like (laughs) I was saying fashion over or whatever, like they are big companies that have, it's like moving a ship versus a little pontoon boat. Like, yeah, can, they like, can't afford the risk. Even and out. Yeah, we can try random things. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll pick up stuff. I'm like, I don't know. Like, if some, but I can do that. And like, I can try something different. And worst case, it's not a huge loss. Yeah, I think that's a really good word. Like, if you're doubting yourself, like, just start, just do something. Like, <laughs> start yeah. somewhere and, and book the pop up and just like, get into it. I, I I had a lot of those fears myself. Yeah. When I first started, I was like, oh, I'm months, years away from being able to do a pop-up. And Aaron was like, why? Like, just do it. Like, just hop in. Like, you'll, you'll, right. it's not going to be perfect from the, from the get. Like you said, like, you know, you might have a janky sign, but like, just put yourself out really there. really bad the first time. <laughs> yeah. But you yeah. know, you, you mentioned like hanging up the shirts on the hangers. Like there's just little things that you're going to learn, but you're never going to learn if you don't do anything, right? So. Totally. And I hope that a year from now, I look back at my booth now and I'm like, that looks so crappy. And that's yeah. how we grow though. And it's, it's progress. It, yeah. If that took me two years to get to that point. I'm glad I started it when I did and just was out there trying. I think oftentimes things seem way more daunting and scary. And I think the anticipation is what's so daunting and scary. You mentioned um, when you were talking with Aaron on the first episode about how scary going on lives are, especially Mm -hmm. when you're first starting or if you've never done it. And I was doing lives pretty frequently there for a while. Um, I would do maybe a few a week I would hop on during the peak of the lockdown and I was doing it a lot. And every single time I would have like (laughs) a huge pit in my stomach when I hit the live button and it's so scary. And today I would still be like (laughs) nervous and freaked out. And I think that's another great thing that Los Angeles has taught me or living here has taught me. When I lived in Montana, it's easy to see Hollywood. <laughs> you see stars in your eyes, but being here has really humanized that. And I remember going to Melrose in high school when I'd come to LA to visit my grandparents. And it was like, holy moly, I cannot imagine. And now I know people who like sell at the plane. You yeah. know, these things seem so elevated and seem so difficult, but like everyone started from scratch. And I think yes. what helps um, propel you forward more than anything is people seeing that you're like going for it and like excited to get out there and just be genuine to what you're trying to produce and what you're trying to do. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about Y2K style and I think that's your niche for sure, at least from my perception. Yeah, I would say that. So I feel like if you and I walked into the same thrift store, we would have like 
completely different carts of inventory. <laughs> like, yeah, for, I think so. Yeah, you pick stuff up that like, I feel like the majority of the vintage resellers on Instagram are not picking up. Oh, so yeah. talk to me for about sure. <laughs> Y2K style and what that means to you. Yeah, so I definitely have a very unique curation. One thing that's interesting about Y2K styles, it's a lot more broad than people think. I think when people think Y2K style, they have a very specific image in their head. But if we're just talking about women's fashion, the, I don't know, the early 2000s Playboy Bunny Y2K style, you might think of is very different than the Carrie Bradshaw Sex in the City style. Yeah, you know, yeah. those are so different. Um, there's such different looks velour and rhinestones and glitz and glam versus like chic and you know very that's almost like more 90s kind of um mm -hmm. city vibes um so it's kind of a broad aspect you know it's all it's early 2000s um a lot of times i'll sell things most of my pieces are probably from 97 to 2007 i would say that's like my main age range as far as the date that the items came out, but I do stuff that's kind of my nostalgia. Um, and I think we're kind of seeing that with this next generation. And like I said, I have a lot of younger people come to my booth and I'll grab stuff that I think that's will be nostalgic for them sometimes. And they love it. And people all the time are, tell me, especially at the flea market, and it's awesome to get that live feedback and see what people lights up their eyes or gets them talking or excited, even if they don't purchase it. Um, and like I have right now, like five big time rush tour t-shirts um, and people freak out when they see them. They're That's like, Oh so my funny. gosh. And I tell them straight. I'm like, I don't think any other sellers are doing this, but I mean, I'm going to put it on blast here. Like I have the BTR saved search on my eBay and I'm looking for them. <laughs> That's so and cool. yeah, it's fun. But to me, I think the best thing you can do is to like find what you love and find your niche and just lean into it 150%. I pick up stuff yeah. all the time that I think is funny and stupid. Like that's a big part of my niche is like silly graphic tees. Like I like the ones with the phrases on it. You guys uh -huh. are uh, talking on the <laughs> other episode about like the baby clothes that has the like yeah. silly phrases and stuff. Like all those early 2000s, like actual t-shirts you mentioned that one with like, video games or like yeah. sell my sister i just <laughs> yep. picked up a few from the kids section um for girls and they're like uh little girls extra large you know so they'll fit you know teen or whatever but they say um we'll shut up for a hundred dollars cash <laughs> but or i don't know something like that it's yeah. very just like sassy attitude and the tag is from probably like 2003 four um That's so, funny. so i don't definitely like the silly i like the like self-aware tacky but self-aware is kind of my aesthetic that I like to say <laughs> it's like it's like campy it's like I know this is a silly I just posted today the I heart beef shirt it's a single stitch shirt that I found I'm gonna do that simple life inspired drop mm -hmm. um, from the reality show and it's like an I heart New York style but it says I heart beef and I don't know if it's from like the farm association or yeah. what, but it's like from the nineties and like, it's a wow. made in USA shirt. And like, to me, that is like what I want my booth filled with is like the silly, the fun, um, the over the top, the unique. And I just kind of trust my gut most of the time. I rarely look up tags anymore and not because I know all of them. I know the ones I need to look up, 
but for the most part, it's more about the vibe and what I enjoy. And it's not a requirement for me for it to be vintage. I buy newer stuff all the time if I think it's cool and something that my customers will like. And yeah, I think it's good not to set too many restrictions for yourself and just kind of like let yourself trust your gut sometimes. I think that's that's really good with finding your niche. Like you're at an advantage because you found something that like I said, most thrifters would probably leave behind in the thrift. Yeah. <laughs> so then yeah. it's available for you. You can pick it up. You know mm-hmm. that your audience that you've built at Silver Lake or on your Depop uh, is going to vibe with it. So you're looking for you've, it. You've really yeah. found a need and then you found a solution to the need. Um, and both are so readily available. So I think that really speaks volumes about finding your niche. And like you said, just feeling it out. I I would imagine that there's not a lot of Y2K like resources online yet. (laughs) No, there's not. And that's really interesting. Yeah. There's no tag guides. There's no tag. Yeah. There's no tag guides for like the Y2K like 2010s tags. We don't have the tag guide for 2010s yet. No, someone's got to make it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you're really kind of blazing that trail. Right. And so I think that's It really does speak volumes about finding your niche, because if you can find something that no one's picking up, but people want, and you can kind of be the first pioneer to see that, that's really cool. And I know you've been met with a little bit of criticism, and maybe not just you specifically, but the whole Y2K selling it at markets. You've even shared TikToks showing Silver Lake (laughs) or Rose Bowl, and it's people that are criticizing Y2K saying like, oh... I had this when I was 15. So why is it cool? But it's like, that's the same thing that people were doing in the 2000s about the 90s stuff, right? (laughs) So it's it's a cyclical thing. Like you can be an old head in any (laughs) any era. Yeah. And I could be grumpy about it and, you know, scoff at people like that. I will say in LA, people get it a lot more than they probably do in other areas because just in general, LA is so forward. I think it's important to just find your own aesthetic with it. And a big part, I know you said it's, you know, makes sense, you know, on paper and that's a great advantage of it. Absolutely. But honestly too, it's made it just so much more fun. Um, there was a while where I was getting really into, um, like more high-end t-shirts and I was really getting into that world and it was fun. And I don't regret, you know, learning more about that, but it felt more like work. And now it's more about me getting to be creative. So I think that's a big part of it as well. So you are crushing it at Silver Lake and you also have a very successful Depop. So tell me about the online side of it. And specifically, if you can speak into like the way that you've started to curate your drops, because I think that that's very different what you're doing there. Thanks. Yeah, that's definitely been a big change. And changed a lot for like the online game for me was doing the curated drops on my depop um this is the same depop i've had for many years and i recently scrolled back to the very first sales and i'll say a lot of the items i picked up then while the pictures are really bad and the descriptions are horrible and whatever a lot of the pieces though i would i would pick up now which is so cool to see that just like genuine um authenticity be like the driving line right. through all of that and i think that's a big reason why my Depop was successful, you know, over time, I think Depop along with anything online um, is all about momentum and about consistency. And I've just kept going on it and kept listing on it. And I think for me, yeah, when you click on my page now, it's like 
13,000 followers, all these sales. And like, it's like kind of surreal to look at that number because I'm sure it, it is yeah. like that. Well, at the beginning to gain a hundred followers would be like so much work when I had five sales and no reviews and 20 things listed with like a bad picture. Now I have a page with so much history that the momentum just kind of helps it like grow on its own and stuff sell on its own, which is, that's why I always tell people just keep going with the curated drops for so long. I was just picking up kind of anything I thought that would sell on Depop and I was doing fine with that. And it definitely helped me learn a little about a lot, but with the curated drops, instead of it being like a buying and selling of widgets, I feel like it's so much more of a creative project now. And it's so much more fun for me now. I mentioned earlier talking about um, keeping your eyes open and people watching, but Mm -hmm. not just like people watching on the street, but just like watching movies and documentaries and listening to music and flipping through magazines. And I think just like letting inspiration come into your life from all aspects is helpful for what we do. Like this one I'm doing right now is for the simple life. And that's a show I grew up watching a lot. And it always was something that I, I don't know, felt like related to. And I always thought was hilarious and, um, you know, coming from a more rural area, but also loving the glitz and the glam of what, (laughs) you know, Paris Hilton and Akorachi were. Um, to kind of see those worlds collide, I've always thought was kind of interesting and um, feels very much like me too, very genuine, authentic to my story. Yeah. So that's been a really fun inspiration. But also one of the um, huge benefits of it is it le- allows me to sell pieces that otherwise maybe wouldn't be worth very much money. But as part right. of the bigger story, I'm able to resell in this avenue. So for example... I have for Simple Life dropped like a lot of newer pieces. Maybe they're not necessarily um, super vintage or maybe if they are vintage, they're not worth a lot. Like that I Heart Beef shirt, for example, mm. you know, it's part of like a story. And by putting it in the curation, people are paying for that curation. Exactly. And yeah, I think it's a really fun thing people, sh- people should try. You can do it as in-depth or as not in-depth as you want. You could do these big curated full drops like I'm doing that are like 50 100 pieces or you could even do like cartoon teas friday doing a live all cartoon teas you know there's so many different yeah. ways to take a curated drop i've done ones where it's like it's called denim days it's the denim drop and it's like okay i have a lot of denim stuff in my death pile so i'm going to do a denim drop yeah. and so there's lots of different ways that you can do it if you ever want to make your own website or sell stuff on your instagram you have to get people coming back if people want to buy from you mm-hmm. or they're just going to look on ebay for the cheapest one you know why are they coming to you to buy these things a lot of times it's that genuine connection because they like you because they like looking through your curation like those are the real reasons why most people will come back to a specific vintage seller yeah Yeah, that's really good advice. Like, I think if you can kind of build that story and have that authenticity, make it something that you like, I think people are going to come back to you. They're going to want to support the story and they're going to want to support the brand that they see that you're building. So I think you've really hit on like three things that I think have made you successful. It's like consistency, authenticity, and then storytelling. Yeah. Like finding a moment in pop culture and then like creating something through that. I think that's big. So tell me about the future of Unseen Clothing. Like what are you working on now and what do you think you're going to do, you know, in the next few years? It's so wild to think about because coming again from Montana, it's even doing what I'm doing now is so surreal to me. Now I'm 
paying all my bills. I'm doing this full time now for just over a year now, last December, actually. So just hit that one year. I am trying to find, and this is something that I've been really seriously been thinking about the last like six months, find ways to at some point get out of the grind of the flea market game. I I'm loving what I'm doing right now, but I am working seven days a week, all day, all night. Like I'm up late, I'm up early. I'm working like crazy and I love it. And it doesn't really feel like work to me. And I'm thrifting like five days a week and it's cool and it's fun. But I know that for the rest of my life, I don't want to be relying on getting lucky at every thrift store and having to wake up at five in the morning, every Saturday and Sunday for the rest of my life. That's not realistic. And so I've just been trying to find and think about ways to kind of elevate things to a way that's more like sustainable for me and sustainable for my life and just like being able to grow and um, be more passive. It's kind of just been like one little baby step at a time. I started to buy wholesale. I finally got my seller's permit officially where I could go into wholesale um, like warehouses and things like that and buy in bulk. You are paying more per unit usually, but But I'm sure it's helpful to be able to do it all at once. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And especially for me, it's been great because with my unique curation, the stuff I'm looking for for my curation, it's not super picked over at these places, um, which is awesome. So that's been a really big step. Um, Now I can thrift more for fun, not because I have to, to get inventory for that weekend. Right. And then I just am launching right now my rework line. I don't know what that's going to evolve into yet at this point. I used to really want to open a store. That was always the end goal that I would talk about. Well, and through the pandemic, that kind of changed my perspective a lot on having a brick and mortar. Um, uh-huh. I definitely want to continue to grow online for now. I want to keep exploring these relationships. I've been loving renting to stylists. Um and different clients, that's been really cool for me to see my pieces kind of take on a life of their own. Yeah. But no, I found it on a sidewalk or at a <laughs> warehouse or it's whatever. Crazy. And yeah, I mean, there was this one reworked piece that I thrifted at the bins. No, obviously no tag, but it was this like crazy reworked skirt, super patchworky. Um, I don't know, like like someone's craft project or something like uh, business ties where it like tied on the side. Oh, but wow. I'm like, this is cool. And I picked it up and a stylist rented it and like sent me pictures of like this like legit model in that. And it's like, this is so cool to see. That must be so surreal. <laughs> it's so, it's literally, that's the best way to describe it. And so that's really cool. But also you don't have the pressure of being the final person to sign off on the photo. You kind of like, <laughs> okay, here's my stuff. You do what you got to do with it. So yeah. that's really cool. And I really want to focus on this rework line. I really feel good about it for the first time it all kind of came together again naturally and it just kind of made sense I found all the resources just naturally over time it all kind of just like fell into my lap and it came together in a sense where now I'm able to go into um like a warehouse hand pick out vintage tees or other like textiles and there's a full like manufacturing sewing team where I can go in with the designer handpick silhouettes they have like patterns they can have ready to go i can do different sizes the prices the numbers make sense because i think with reworks a lot of them come into two categories either really high end and they are more expensive because all the time and the labor that goes into it or on the other end a lot of um, reworks really cheap but feels very crafty 
And I don't think there's a lot that's in that middle market yet. There's some brands that are doing it. I, Frankie Collective is like a great example yeah. um, of a brand that's doing reworked on a big level and making it accessibly priced. And that's something that I really want to do with my brand is have it be reworks at a price point that is really not that different from buying a dress at Urban Outfitters. But in this case, it's one of a kind. You're the only one who has it. Yeah, that's so exciting. And it's a whole nother level really of flipping secondhand clothing because you're taking t-shirts that, to be honest, for women, it takes a little more to style a t-shirt. But if you can make it into a dress, then there's another use for it. After I was selling so many tees, when I was really heavy into it, my closet was filled with t-shirts and I would not really wear them hardly ever. And I'm not cutting up anything that's really of value. I did one for this last um, order I put in. It was a liquid blue, but it was a 2015 version of the print. Right. You know, so, or I got one that was this like nudist colony music festival, but it was a men's triple XL tank top. Yeah, I saw that one. So these are items for the most part that are sitting there that are they're not, not the most desirable they're yeah. not the most desirable <laughs> and i'm trying to turn them into something that you do want and yeah with the sustainability aspect as far as the environment a big reason why i want it so excessively priced i don't think there's that many brands that are doing like true sustainable fashion which to me is reworking is gonna be the most sustainable if you're making anything new at all there's not many brands that are doing that at a big level that are making just like cool clothes like stuff that people want that like is really targeted towards the youth. And with this brand, I want it to be something that we're, if you're a 16 year old girl and you don't care about sustainability and you just want like a cool thing that you saw Emma Chamberlain wear, you want like this dress because you think it's cool. And then it is also a sustainable thing. And it's also where we work. You're also the only one in the world who has it. Those are maybe the afterthought that like it can grow into a more um, prevalent part of like your buying purchases in the future some brands I think are like so sustainable that that's like their selling point. And it's like, you can have the most sustainable brand ever, but do people want it? Do they want to wear it? Yeah. (laughs) Is it cool? Like, is it cute? Is it flattering? And I think that's part of the conversation that's often left out. It is. Yeah. I think in order to do sustainability well, you have to extend the life cycle of the garment, right? So if you make Mm -hmm. something that's too expensive or it's too cheaply made, the life of that garment's not going to last. And so you mentioned Frankie and I think your new reworks are kind of in that middle space of like... It's affordable, but it's also high quality. So you're making garments that are going to live on that 3XL nudist tank top. Like, totally, (laughs) that's not going to live much longer in my experience. No. And now it's so cool. Like people were dying. Oh, yeah. Market. And I saw it on Instagram and I was like, that's really a different piece. Yeah. I would have never sold like that tank top could sit there for months, you know? I did one. Do you remember from the Goofy movie? It's like Powerline. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sure. it's like a, a band, it's like a 2019 yeah. print of uh-huh. a shirt. Like a I turned that into print, a dress, yeah. and now it's like cool, you know. But it's like that wasn't a brand new print. I'm excited. Yeah, see what comes from it. That's awesome. So switching gears a little bit, what is something that most people don't know about you? Um, most people don't know that I'm a huge. Like I'm a lone wolf. I come off very like outgoing. Like I'm very, I don't know. I talk a lot. I'm like always like smiling and laughing, but I really like my alone time. I love just being in the quiet at home, having incense, watching TV. 
while I'm listing, taking pictures, all that sort of thing. Um, I think it's really important to have balance in this world. I think especially during the lockdowns, it was so, I don't know, I was like on Instagram constantly and like everything was almost like public and just like constantly interacting and engaging with people. And I think that can, I don't know, you get burnt out, I think doing that and trying to put yourself out there too much. And I've really gotten better about balancing that. And I think that's been really good. But yeah, I think people are oftentimes surprised about that. I think I'm like always out doing stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, it's good to have that balance. You know, I think it can be easy as uh, people who kind of push our brand towards social media. It can be easy to burn yourself out and not get that alone time. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a good word too, that everything in life is balanced. Totally. Even your social life. Yeah. And it's important, I think, to give yourself time to like really reset and take a break from the grind. I put my head down and work, work, work. And I think that's a huge reason why I'm where I'm at right now. But there's the other side of that coin. And I think having that like release and that break from it is really important to the longevity and to staying inspired. Like when I actually am like super, you know, zoned out and in a different mindset and not focused on working, that's when I sometimes have my best ideas. And like, right, you need time and you need to give yourself a moment to be able to reflect on everything that's going on. And there's so many things that are oftentimes like right in front of our face that we are just not seeing because we're so focused on go, 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 go. Yeah. I think we've shared a lot of wisdom, Um, but do you have any closing thoughts or more words of wisdom? My biggest word of advice to people who are trying to make money doing this or make a career doing this is to be genuine, be kind, be genuinely uh, curious about people, about things, about historical events. So much of this I've learned is about relationships, um, especially in the vintage world, guys. Like it is a smaller bubble than you even think. Like, yeah, absolutely. Especially being in LA, that's become so obvious to me. Um, just being around so much of the community physically, it really is. And I see so many people burn themselves out by being petty in one argument or getting into one Instagram beef. Yeah. And it's almost always at a bigger detriment to yourself than by proving a point. Yeah. Um, I think just genuinely trying to be kind people you interact with and just try and talk to people like get to know people and build those relationships right almost every opportunity that i've been given it's not because i found my depop and they're like oh this <laughs> person looks it's because oh i saw you worked with this person then i asked if, and they were like oh yeah it's the word of mouth you know that's so totally. underrated it's I feel so like. word of mouth i think like 90 percent of opportunities is a person who has some sort of power gets a chance to give an opportunity, you know, whether it's hiring right. for a job or they're a stylist looking for stuff. And in that moment, when you're making a decision, what goes into your decision? It's like, oh, who do I want to talk to? Or who who do I like? Yeah. Who can I get along with? It's who you know? you'd like. It's yeah. who you get along with. Who you know is going to be reliable and not be flaky and is going to pay you when they said they did. Those are such simple things, but they are the most important foundation to anything else you can do. If you are genuine and nice and a hard worker and reliable, you're going to do pretty well, I think, in any career you have in life. That's so good. <laughs> That's life advice, though. Yeah, but it's 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 life advice. It's business advice. It's everything. Simple, though. I think life is more simple than we make it sometimes. And it's important to remember, I think. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ava, for uh, coming on the show. (laughs) Huge fan of everything you're doing. If you're listening to this and you don't follow her, um, 
I don't know how, but <laughs> go follow her, <laughs> making huge waves in the community. So uh, yeah, thanks, Ava. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. And thanks again uh, to you and Emily for the meme shout out last time. More memes are also coming <laughs> yeah. from the scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's another episode of Can't Eat in the Books. I just found out last week that Spotify has ratings for podcasts now. If you enjoy what we're doing, would you consider leaving us a rating there? And if you use Apple Podcasts, like I do, you can leave a rating and a review there as well. Don't forget to subscribe on your platform of choice. And as always, feel free to suggest a guest or give me your feedback by reaching out to at Slater Thrifts on Instagram. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow at Canned Heat Pod on Instagram. I'm Michael Slater. Don't forget to wash cold and hang dry.